Him an offering this morning. Just declare it's true. Sing us with me before the world was made. Glory to God, 
you're the shelter And I will hide beneath your wings Oh, hallelujah, you're the Savior You're my God, we want to lift you up this morning. We want to worship you, God. Fill this place with your presence. We give you all our focus, all our distractions, God. Take those from us right now. The world will be there waiting. Great are 
Aren't you grateful today for the breath that God gives us to breathe and we're able to come and, and to worship together and just to praise Him for who He is. He is such a great God who is at work in our lives every day. And sometimes we don't see it and sometimes we don't remember it. But I tell you, every morning when we get up and we just take that breath, it's a reminder of God's wonderful love for us. And the plan that he has for our life. That he has something for us 
each and every day. And I believe he's got something great for us this morning. Are you glad that you're here today? Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you today. As that song says, for the, for the very breath that is in our lungs. God, we thank you for the life that we have through you. And God, we thank you for the hope that only you can give. God, there may be all kinds of crazy things going in our world around us and things that are trying to drag us down or to distract us from you. But God, we thank you today for just the reminder of who you are. Thank you for the reminder of that love today. And just thank you for all that you do and all the many blessings that you give us. And God, sometimes we take those for granted and we don't even take time to recognize that this very life that we have each and every day is a gift from you. God, I pray that as we continue through our worship this morning, that we would be ready to receive whatever it is that you have for us in this place today. God, I know that we all come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different things going on in our daily lives. But God, you know us, you know our hearts, you know our desires, you know exactly what it is that we need from you today. And God, I pray that we would be ready to receive that from you. So help our hearts to be ready and our ears to be ready to hear and to receive today from you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Good morning, Living Water. Are you happy to be in God's house today? And I hope so. I hope so. It's always good to be in God's house. As I was driving into the parking lot, I always park out back and I look up at this building and I just reminded myself as I was walking up to the building, God, this is your house, not mine. This is your place where we come to worship you, not us. It's about you, not us. And so help us to just lift your name up, to praise you and to meet with you and to hear from you. So God, would you speak to us through your word and our time gathered here this morning. This is a special time that we set aside to come to worship God, and he's worthy of our attention and our praise. Amen? So we're in a series called Recalculating, and the idea of this series is, you know, the journey of life is like, you know, we, we go through this journey called life, and every once in a while we'll get off, off track. We'll detour, we'll make a wrong turn, and we find ourselves not on the path that we thought we would be on. The, the plans changed. And so it's important for us in those moments to kind of pull off to the side of the road and to recalculate to reevaluate, to think through the decisions we made and, and where we're at and all that stuff. And so this series has been all about recalculating. And, and the title of the message today is Recalculating How We See Ourselves. And I just want to give you a warning. Um, this message is from me mainly today. Um, I noticed that as I was digging into this, God started reminding me of some things. It was kind of like picking a scab off for me personally. But I know I'm not alone. So be prepared that you may come in here and think, ah, this is not for me, but there's a good chance that God may do the same thing in your heart too as well. And um, we're going to talk for a few moments about self-esteem. So the word self-esteem, the word esteem means to evaluate, to judge, to rate yourself, right? And so when you rate something, you're like, I, I, I evaluate myself, I judge myself, and I see myself a certain Way And I just want you to know that I think all of us have struggled with this. I remember early on uh, when Rachel and I were dating, I was a little bit skinny thing, really skinny. In fact, I got stuck in the mud one time, and I was at her house, and her mom said, hey, go in there and grab a shower, and you can wear one of Rachel's pair of pants. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to fit into those pants, but I did. And I looked good, y'all, but I was this skinny, right? I just remember at that season of life thinking, man, I wish I was bigger. I wish I was bulkier. You know, put on some weight and all that good stuff. And, you know, we, we, we worry about our self-image, what we look like. And, you know, we look in the mirror and always wish we were taller or shorter or thinner or thicker or whatever. And I know I'm not alone in that. In fact, I read some, some statistics um, this morning looking at how we view ourselves. And there was a research that was conducted in the United States that showed that around 25% of male children and adolescents were concerned about their muscularity uh, and their leanness by expressing a greater desire for toned and defined muscles, 25%. And more than 50,000 adults, this is 41% of them, thought they were too heavy and were self-conscious about their weight. 16% of them um, being too uncomfortable in a swimsuit, and 11% thought that they were unattractive. Research also showed that Around 50% of young 13-year-old American girls reported being unhappy with their body. This number grew to nearly 80% by the time they reached the age of 17. That's just one study. 
Another study that kind of shocked me was between 1997 and 2018, male cosmetic surgery, male cosmetic surgery has increased approximately 325%. Wow. We're really concerned about our self-image, aren't we? I don't know if you've ever done this, but I used to get on the internet and look at the before and after of plastic surgery. I mean, like Reba McIntyre, you know, that one. I'm like, wow, there's a huge difference between when she started and now. You know, you look at these before and afters, and I remember seeing some girls that are just beautiful and thinking, man, she was pretty to start with. Why did she mess with that? The reality is, is many of us have this self-image thing, this self-esteem, the way we see ourselves, and we don't measure up. That's physically. But how many know that it affects us emotionally as well? And so I don't know if, if you struggle the way I struggle, but I'm a mess. I'm jacked up, okay? I, I carry things with me at 51 years of age that I still process. Like, why am I the way I am? Why do I think the way I think? And, and I did the hard work last night of going through, like, journaling and just kind of remembering some of the things that I experienced in my childhood, adolescent, teens, early marriage, things that I'd heard, things that had happened to me. And, and I was able to connect some of those things to the, the reason that I'm wired the way I'm wired to, to uh, like today. As like I said, I think that a lot of us could probably fit in that category. And so as we consider this idea of self-esteem, the way we see ourselves, remember that the series has been about God's guidance in our life. And we talked about the number one in week one was if there was one main goal for us, you know, all these resolutions, what can we focus on? Love God and love people. If we hit those two things, we're going to hit a lot of things right. Amen? And so the second week, we talked about God's will and our plans. We have these plans, and I said it would be foolish of us as Christians to go through life making plans without considering God in those plans because he's in control of it all, right? And so maybe the plans that we have don't even line up with God's will, and so we need to make sure that on this journey of life, we're on the right path that God wants us to be on, right? His will, our plans. And then last week, we looked at guidance and obedience and how God guides us generally through life, right? But sometimes he specifically guides each one of us an open door, a closed door. And our responsibility is the obedience part. His is the guidance part. He's good at guiding. He is a faithful guide. We're not always faithful in the obedience part, right? And so our role is to recognize that as God guides us through life, sometimes the plans change because he changed them, right? He's the guide. He leads us. He closes and opens doors. Well, today is a little bit more personal because sometimes our plans change because of our own choices. All right, so the, the things that we do. And so speaking of this self-image thing and the way we view ourselves, um, there are two unhealthy areas that I think that if we stay there and we focus on that, then it can be detrimental to being the people and to being on the plan that God has for us, right? We can change where we're at and, and our plans whenever we don't see things from God's perspective and, and it's our own doing um, and so I want to speak to that for just a moment. There's a, this idea, I think there's be times in our lives when the plans change by our own actions. And when we look at the life of Peter, Matthew chapter 26, if you have your Bibles, you want to open there, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to look at Peter's life. This story is very familiar, but I think we see this one truth as we evaluate his life. That who we think we are and who God knows we are can be completely different. Let me say that again. Who we think we are, that is our self-image, right? Our, our esteem, like what we have judged ourselves to be, what we think in our mind, and who God knows that we are can be two completely different things. All right, and so uh, the, the first one I will say, we're going to, you know, I, I think of it like bar ditches. You know, you're driving down the road and you got two ditches. In fact, I got a little image up there. If you can see the license plate, it says esteem. I thought that was kind of cool just to add that there. But, you know, we're in the journey of life and you got these two ditches, and, and we'll see in this text, Peter spends some time in both of those, uh, those ditches. And so, have you ever been stuck in a ditch? One time I did, and it had nothing to do with mud. I was just driving a back road. I was a cable man going to an outage, and I was in a hurry. I found a shortcut, and I thought it will save me some time. And, and so I'm in a road that I'm not real familiar with. It's a gravel road, some curves. And I misjudged how soon the curve was up. I was going a little too fast, and I skid off the road and into a ditch, a big ditch. And I was stuck. There was no way I was getting myself out of that. And I just remember radio ends before cell phones, get on the radio, number seven to base. Yeah, what's up? I'm stuck. And then to hear the jeers and the laughter and give me a hard time and wait an hour for the boss to show up with a chain to pull me out of the ditch. You know, I think sometimes we get stuck in those ditches. I think there's some people today that are stuck in a ditch. 
If you look at Peter's life in Matthew chapter 26, this is at the end of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has been on the earth three years, right? He's been teaching, walking with them, performing the miracles. He's proven who he is, and there's no doubt. They're like devoted to Jesus. And Jesus, back in chapter 16, has started to tell them, okay, hey, listen, you need to know this. Jesus, the Son of Man, you're, you know, the teacher that you're following, he's going to be um, betrayed. He's going to be handed over to evil men, and they're going to uh, beat him. They're going to persecute him. They're going to crucify him on a cross. But on the third day, he will be raised again. Well, in that first instant, it says Peter pulled him to the side and rebuked him. Lord Jesus, that will never happen to you. Not on my watch, right? I'm not going to let that happen. And you know what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. Ow. Right? Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're thinking merely through a human point of view and not God's point of view. But Jesus would go on three more times and tell the disciples, hey, the time's coming. All this is coming to an end, and we're all going to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, I will be betrayed. I will be turned over. I'll be crucified. But on the third day, I will be raised again. And so this is there. They're in Jerusalem. They've been in the upper room. They shared the last supper together, one that they had done many times at Passover. And this time, Jesus gave it new meaning. He said, this bread is my body. Take it, eat it. And this, this grape juice or this wine, take it and drink it. As often as you do these, remember me. Right? And then after that last supper, it says they go outside, and they're on their way to the Mount of Olives. And it's in that context where we pick up in verse 32, or excuse me, 31. It says, on the way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus told them, Tonight, all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, and he quotes Zechariah, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Verse 33, Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, and everyone meaning in the context there, the disciples, even if all the rest of these yahoos desert you, Jesus, I will never desert you. The word desert means, it's, it's the Greek word skandalizo, we get our word scandal from it. And the idea behind that is, is to, to fail someone in a time of need. It's like you, you find them so repulsive that you're willing to just abandon them. Like, all right, you're on your own. You made your bed. I'm done with you. That's to desert. And Peter was saying, even if all these other guys desert you, Jesus, I will not desert you. And then Peter, um, uh, Jesus responds to Peter. He says, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, just in a few hours from now, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. You, you say you won't desert me, but you're going to deny three times that you even know who I am. Well, Peter responds to that in verse 35. Nope, not me. Peter he insisted. It says, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. This is what I would consider ditch number one. Peter was overconfident, right? He, when his self-image, I mean, he maybe overinflated his ability to do whatever, and he was loyal. I'm not questioning his love and his loyalty to Christ, but I think he was a little overconfident in his abilities that whenever it got hot, he was going to be able to stay true to what he said he would do and not desert Jesus. He was confident. He was arrogant. He was maybe a little bit cocky. I've be honest with you, I don't spend a whole lot of time in that bar ditch, and I'll explain that in just a moment. I have, but I don't spend a lot of time there. But I know people who have and who do, and the reality is, is it's a dangerous place to be. John MacArthur puts it this way, as, as much as Christians might like to think of themselves as being spiritually strong, those who are mature know from experience as well as from Scripture that in themselves they are weak. They would like to think that they could never deny the Lord, contradict his word, or be ashamed to be called by his name, but they know that every believer succumbs to those things from time to time. They find themselves in an environment of unrighteousness, but do nothing to correct it. They have an opportunity to speak for Christ, but they say nothing. They need to be bold for the cause of Christ, but instead they are timid. Maybe you know somebody like that that's in that ditch. Or they think that they've got everything figured out, and they say things like this. Well, oh, so-and-so you know, had an affair with his wife, and boy, I would never do that. I just can't believe he did that. I wouldn't do that. Or we get kind of cocky and think that we got everything figured out and we're going through life without the guidance of God and we're just handling things left and right and, and we start thinking all of it's going really, really well. It's a dangerous place to be to kind of get self-confident, arrogant, cocky. Peter was there. Maybe you've seen the damage that comes as a result of that, a marriage that's been destroyed, relationship, deep wounds that are caused by some of those um, 
times in our lives when we found ourselves in that, that ditch. So hear me saying that that ditch is not a healthy place for us to stay. That's where Peter was at. And so we carry on. Peter um, says, I won't do it. If I die, I will never deny you. You fast forward to when Jesus is betrayed and arrested. It says Judas shows up and he'd given a signal that when I kiss the rabbi on the cheek, that'll be the signal that that's him and you'll arrest him, right? And so Verse 50 says, Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come to do. Talking to Judas, it says, then the others grabbed Jesus and they arrested him. But one of the men, now Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say one of the men. John tells us who that man was, Simon Peter. But one of the men, Simon Peter, was with Jesus, pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. I think he proved in that moment that he was willing to fight to the death for Jesus, right? He, he was like, man, I, I, I'll die with you, Jesus. I will never deny you. I will not betray you or desert you. And I'm willing to fight to the end with you. And Jesus says, put away your sword, Peter. It's not what it's about. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels? This is in Jesus' ability to do that. He said, I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Remember, the plan, the purpose, I'm going to that cross, right? That's God's plan, not our plan. So Peter, put away your sword. Later that evening, as it says in the next verse, all, at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. We know from history and other gospels that Peter stood at a distance, kind of watching what was going on, fearful. Jesus had been arrested, and he's kind of laying back and following, but watching, keeping a close eye on what's going on. And it says, verse 69, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. Verse 70, But Peter denied it in front of everyone. He's like, just not like, no, no, I don't know him. But he's like, nope, I don't know who it is. I don't even know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl um, noticed him, and she said to those standing around, hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth, verse 72. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I swear, I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. It says, this time, a curse on my life if I'm lying. Stop. Question. Was he lying? Yes, like a rug. He was lying. So he says, a curse be on me if I am lying. I do not know the man. And immediately, it says, the rooster crowed. It says, suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. The Gospel of Luke tells us that at that moment, Jesus looks and he gets eye contact with Peter as the rooster has crowed. And now Peter's looking into the eyes of the very person that he just said, I don't know that man. I spent three years of my life with that man, but I don't know who you're talking about. And immediately, in just a second, and this is the way it can happen, you can go from one ditch to the other ditch. There's another ditch on the other side. Peter went from cocky, self-confident, boastful, all the way to the other ditch of What? Put it up there for me. Self-doubtful, deprecating, cautious. I feel like he probably was feeling a little bit of guilt and shame. It says that he went away and he wept bitterly. He knew in that moment he had failed Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever failed God? When we say we want to do something and we find ourselves doing the things that we shouldn't do, we're like, we fail him on the regular. Peter had failed him and he found himself in another ditch. And this time it was a ditch of despair. No self-confidence. Right, self-doubting. Um, I said a moment ago, I don't usually spend a lot of time in the, the bar ditch on the left, but I have fight my whole life to stay out of the one on the right. Self-doubting. And here's the thing about that is, you know, the, the things that we, how we view ourselves, how we see ourselves, this self-esteem stuff uh, comes from different areas, right? And, and maybe it was a, a bully at school. Maybe it was an ex-boss. Maybe it was an ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. Maybe it was parents. Things that happen in life, as I said earlier, I sat down and I jotted down some things in my mind. Like, God, why am I the way I am? Why do I struggle so much in these particular areas? Self-doubt? Yeah, I do that. I doubt myself. I don't have a lot of confidence many times. Deprecating? You know what that means? Tearing yourself down. 
I've said to people, hey, listen, you can't tear me down any worse than I'll tear myself down. I'll beat myself up worse than anybody else will, right? I am my worst critic, and I will beat myself up when I fail, when I fall short. Cautious. Man, God, I know you got a plan, and I know you want to do things, but I'm just kind of scared to take a step of faith because I'm, a, I'm afraid of failure. Does anybody else struggle with those things? So, so Peter found himself in just a moment going from one ditch to the other ditch. Here's what we need to know. Both of those ditches are unhealthy, right? Both of them are very unhealthy. And so what happens is we begin to believe, and as I said a moment ago, maybe it was something that happened in your past. For me, things that were said that came from people that you, you love and they're your authority in your life, and so there's no reason why you shouldn't trust that what they're telling you is truth. And so as a little boy, you receive those words as truth, false truths. And you start to think, well, maybe I am a screw-up. Maybe I can't get anything right. Maybe I will never be able to amount to anything. Maybe I do, you know, just fill in the blank. I mean, I think we've all heard that negative talk, right? And so maybe some of those things were, were said to you at an early age. And for me, I just, you rehearse those things. And you think, at first, sticks and stones and break my bones, the words will never hurt me, but it's not true. You consider those words and you rehearse them and you start to believe them and accept them as, as truth when they're not truth at all. And you start to believe that of yourself. And guess what? It carries into your adolescent, carries into your adult years. And here I am at 51 years of age wondering, God, why do I struggle with confidence? Why do I struggle sometimes with wondering if I'm qualified to do what it is that you've called me to do? Why do I wonder sometimes, God, if you even love me, if you even want me? But here we are. And that's some of me just being vulnerable with you. That's some of the stuff that I struggle with. As I said, I spend a lot of time trying to fight to stay out of that ditch. So the question is, how do we get out of that? How do we stay away from one of those two unhealthy ditches that can cause a lot of problems? There's a book I picked up yesterday. Um, it's called Message to Myself, Overcoming a Distorted Self-Image by Helen B. McIntosh. It's an interesting read. She says this, the results, talking about being bogged down, I would say in the ditch, the results could be costly to your friendships, your family, and other relationships. Failure to see yourself from God's perspective and accurately assess who he is and his heart for you can also affect your relationship with him. I think it affects us in a negative way. On one side, you've got the self-confident arrogance, and sometimes you set yourself up for failure because you don't have the accountability. You think you've got it all figured out. You don't. You blow it. And on the other side, you've heard all those voices and those messages, and you believed it as truth, and you lived your whole life believing those truths, both of them unhealthy, and it's not where God wants us to camp out. Now, here's the good news. Peter didn't stay stuck there. Amen? That's the good news. All right, Peter started off kind of cocky. He was very much humbled, and, and, and the next thing we see him weeping bitterly, but Jesus didn't leave him there. Jesus goes to the cross, dies, was raised again on the third day, and he says, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. I love that. Peter blew it, right? Peter needs to see this. He needs to hear this. Oh, and a little bit more encouragement there in Matthew 26 where he says, um, all of you will fall away because the, the, they will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you. A shepherd leads his sheep. And Jesus says, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee and, you, and I'll meet you there. I find hope in that one verse. So after the resurrection, Jesus says, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't record this, but John does the restoration of Peter, and it says that they're out in a boat, Jesus is on the shore, and one of the disciples in the boat says, hey, that's Jesus on the shore, and, and Peter jumps out of the boat and works his way to the shore, and he wants to be where Jesus is at, and we have this exchange between Jesus and Peter, and, and Peter, this once cocky, arrogant guy who was broken and, and, and just miserable, I'm sure, and with guilt and shame, Jesus says, hey, Peter, can I ask you something? Do you love me? The word he uses is agapeo, which is a pretty big love, a committed love. Hey, Peter, are you committed to me? You, you, you mentioned that earlier, that you would never desert me. You wouldn't deny me. Peter, do you love me? Peter's been humbled, and he says, Jesus, you know that I love you like a friend. He uses the word Philadelphia, a friendly love. And Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me, agapeo? Peter's been humbled, right? Like, I know what happened last time. I made a big boastful claim. I blew it big time, and... I can't even admit that now, and so, Jesus, I can't make that claim that I love you like that. I've blown it. I, I love you like a friend. And then Jesus changes his language, and he uses the word Philadelphia. Peter, do you even love me that much? 
And that stung, I think, in that moment for Peter. He's like, it hurt him that Jesus would say, do you even love me like a, a friend? And Peter's like, at the lowest of lows of lows, right? And he says, you know all things. You know that I love you like a friend. And we see the restoration of Peter in that moment. He says, hey, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I've got a plan for you. And you know what? That's an encouragement to me, to me as well because we go beyond that time and we go to the book of Acts and we see the day of Pentecost. Peter steps up. This once man who denied that he even knew Jesus to his face steps up with this boldness and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says 3,000 people are saved. They believe that message and are added to the church that day. What a total turnaround story. Amen? Failure is not fatal. I think that would be a truth that we could take away from that. So, both ditches are, are bad. We don't want to be stuck in the ditch. And when it comes to this thing, God's guiding us in our lives, and he's got a great plan for our life. And sometimes we can, we can put ourselves out of the game, if you will, or off the, the course by our own actions, our own negative self-thinking, like what we think of ourselves. We can get too cocky and mess it up and knock us off course, get stuck in a ditch, or we can have a low self-image of ourselves. And God's like, man, I've got so many more plans for you than that. Just quit thinking that way, and come on, i got some plans for you. So let me give you these things that I try to apply in my life and just remember as truths, and I think they're important. Is The first one is dependence on Christ. Say dependence. So we live in a country that really prides itself on independence, right? I mean, we're independent. We're free men and women. We want to be free. I don't want to depend on anyone. The biggest lesson that we can learn in life is in this life, I can't possibly walk straight enough to please God without his help, right? I can't do it. I've proven that I've failed over and over again. I depend on him for everything. And so I think a healthy self-esteem is a Christ-centered self-esteem. That's where we're saying, hey, Christ, you are in the middle, and everything about me is, is, is you, and I want to focus on you with my family, with my business, the way I see me, what you called me to do, and obedience, and all that stuff. I want to focus on you. You are in the center of my life. And that begs to differ from the way a lot of people approach their religion. They're like, hey, Sunday morning, this is my time for Jesus, and I got my me time Monday through Saturday and I think we need to understand our dependence on Christ is crucial to staying out of the ditches um, in this journey of life. To say, God, I want to have a healthy self-esteem view of who I am. And I realize that I need to depend on you. I need you for that. I, I reference this many times when we pray. We, we meet earlier in the church and I've always said this. God, I'm, I'm the, the glove and you're the hand. What do I mean by that? A glove is just an inanimate object, right? It just sits on the floor with nothing. It doesn't move on its own. But then you put a hand in it, right? And it's got movement. It's like a vessel. And that's what I, I realize in my own life. God, I can't do this without you. I am the glove and you're the hand. So, Lord, would you just would you pick me up and would you use me? There's a word for that. It's called humility. I'm not talking about false humility, but just an honest estimation of who you are. I can't do it without you, Jesus. A Christ-centered approach in life. Amen? So I need you, humility to humble. We know that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, and so humility is what we need to aim at. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. It says, uh, let me find it. No, excuse me, Romans 12. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Say think, because this is important right here. He says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Remember I said a little ago, sometimes who we think we are and who God knows we are are two completely different things. He's like, don't think, don't get too big for your bridges. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. I'd say the key to staying out of the ditches is humility. Recognizing our need and our dependence on Christ. That's one. Another one Jesus gives us, actually in that context, I skipped it on purpose, but going back to the garden um, whenever they were 
Um, they were going to the garden. Jesus is going to go pray to his father. And he tells his disciples, hey, I need you all to pray with me. And this is like the heaviest time of Christ's life on the earth right before he's going to be betrayed. And he says, hey, I got, you guys camp out. You pray. I'm going to go a little further. And I'm going to pray. Jesus comes back. You know the story. He finds the disciples doing what? Sleeping. It was a late night. I mean, the Passover festivities it went late into the night. And I'm sure they were tired and exhausted. And Jesus finds them sleeping. And he says to them, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And he says in verse 41, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing. Peter, you're willing, but the flesh is weak. And so in there we see two things. Keep watch and pray. Keep watch. What does that mean? That means to be spiritually alert. Now, do you think that Peter learned his lesson here? I do. I think he learned it big time. He, he, he made some pretty big boastful claims. He blew it in a big way. He saw Jesus as he denied him three times. And I think he thought he was stronger than he really was. And in that moment, when the heat got hot, Peter's like, I don't have it in me. And he denied Jesus, right? He learned his lesson to be sober, to be vigilant. That's what he says in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil, he roams around like a roaring lion. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And one of the battlefields that he chooses is right up here in the mind. Amen? He says, so be sober. Be on alert. Keep watch. We need to watch out for the tactics of the enemy. Sometimes it comes from a, a false belief that we've gathered in our heart. We've downloaded into our heads and we're like, that's truth. And we believe that and we camp on it. And that could be an attack from our enemy. So we need to watch to be spiritually alert for the battles um, that are going on. Uh, Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians, um, tells us about this battle. And it's um, in chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, some of these things I'm talking about, these negative self-images and self-esteem is a stronghold, right? We hang on to that. It's just dug in. It's a stronghold. He says the, the weapons we have have divine power to destroy those strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We cast down imaginations, I think King James says. Right? Where do those things take place? Up here in the mind, right? He says, so there's this war, this battle that's waged, and the weapons we have are very effective at breaking strongholds, but we take captive those thoughts and those arguments and those lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God, what God knows versus what we think. So there's a battle that is being waged in our minds, and we need to be alert to that. I would say also pray. He says, watch and pray. What is prayer? Prayer is communing with the Father. In prayer, I'm able to say, God, I'm struggling today. This is how I feel. This is what's going on. This is what happened. And I'm just pouring my heart out to him. And hopefully, there's a little dialogue going back and forth. And it's in that moment that I can be quiet and still and have him download into my spirit. Hey, listen, you're going to get through this. And he reaffirms his love for me. And he encourages me to get up and take another step. Prayer is important. Amen? And so for us to avoid falling into one of those two ditches, I think it's important for us to realize the importance of watching and praying. Watch and pray so that you don't slip off into that ditch or into temptation. For the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And lastly, I would say, and this is part of the most important thing and the thing that I've worked on for years and I still wrestle with today, is rejecting the lies, those false beliefs that we might have accepted as truths, Right? Rejecting those lies and accepting his truth. And what is his truth? Jesus, when he was praying, he said, Father, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And he goes on to say that we will know the truth and the truth will do what for us? It will set us free. Right? So to reject the lies and to accept the truth. To be able to look back at life and say, why do I have this outlook of me in this life? Like, why do I feel like a failure? Why do I feel like no one loves me? Why do I feel like I'll never be able to get anything right or I have no value to anyone? And I know I'm not alone in this. I know that many people struggle with these negative self-images. And so it's like, how do we overcome that? It's like to reject those, to say, you know what? That's a lie. But instead, to feel like, I, I don't feel like I'm valued. I don't feel like I'm loved. I don't feel like God could ever use me. Listen, I didn't go to seminary. I was a cable guy. For Pete's sake, right? Um, and, and when I came into ministry, I'm totally unqualified. 
And so I didn't feel like I had everything ready. And when God says, here's an opportunity, step through it. God, are you sure? Did you think this thing through, God? I can give you a list of people that would way overqualify for the job. Not me. Because I believe of myself that I'm unloved. I'm not qualified. I'm not capable. Those are some of the things that I've wrestled with my whole life. But here's what I have to remind myself of the truth of what God says. And so let me just say this, and maybe some of you need to hear it today. Genesis says that God created male and female in his own image, right? In the image of God, he created male and female. You know what that means? That means you are valued and you have worth. Every one of you in the room, right? So when you feel like, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm valued, I don't feel like I've got anything to add to this thing called life or to my family or to my job or whatever it may be, I don't feel, I feel worthless. Just know this, that God's truth says, hey, I created you in my image. In my image, I created each one of you, and that means you're special. Don't listen to the lies that say you're not. Here's another one that's important. God can never love me. I want, to be, I want to be careful how I say it, but I know raised in a family where that wasn't demonstrated much. I love my family, and I don't want to sound like I'm knocking them, but when it wasn't demonstrated well to them, it kind of, kind of flows down. I just remember growing up thinking, man, I, I think the only reason I'm here is for a tax write-off. I mean, I joked about that, but I really, that's what I felt. I don't think they love me. I don't think they want me here. And so my whole life, I'm ready to just get out, just get out. Maybe there's a family somewhere that wants me, that loves me. When I feel like I'm not loved, and maybe you feel that same way, it's important for us to realize that for God so loved, I mean, he so loved the world that he was willing to move heaven and earth out of the way to make you right with him and to give you an opportunity to get to where he's at. Amen? He loved you so much. You're like, yeah, but that's before I screwed up. No, no, no time out. Romans says God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> You're filthy, stinky, you know, the epitome of sinner. And he says, I love you so much. I want to redeem you. Do you know you're loved this morning? Do you know it? Even if you don't feel it, you know, that negative self-talk, like nobody loves me, I'm here to tell you, God loves you. Or how about when you say, well, God could never use me. Man, I've made some mistakes. I'm unqualified. I don't have it all figured out. God, I'm, I'm supposed to teach your word, and I don't have it all figured out myself. How am I supposed to communicate something that precious that I've not been trained for to a, a group of people? God, I, I am so unqualified. He goes, let me show you my track record. He said, let me tell you about a man named David. You know, David, the one I call a man after my own heart. Yeah, he was a moment of weakness, looked out his window and saw Bathsheba. He had an affair with her and got her pregnant. And to cover it up, he had Bathsheba's husband murdered. with some pretty wicked stuff, right? And yet it was after all of that, after David repented and came back to God, that God said, that's a man after my own heart. I think it's safe to say God used David. Or how about Peter? Peter blew it big time. I mean, I don't think you can get any worse than to say, I don't know the man three times when you're put on the spot face to face. I don't know who you're talking about. Curses on me if I'm lying. That's pretty big, isn't it? God can't use me. I've blown it. To see Peter, God says, oh, yeah, look what I did with Peter. Isn't that great? I restored him. I told him to feed my sheep. And, man, he hit. You should have seen him. He hit it out of the park on Pentecost Sunday. He was bringing the fire, and 3,000 people got saved. Oh, I can use broken people. If you feel like God can't use you, let me just tell you, he's got a great track record all throughout Scripture of using messed up, broken people. So the question is, is in this journey that we're, we're going down, and you know, sometimes God redirects us. Sometimes we just knock ourselves off the path with our own negative self-talk and self-esteem. It's not God's best for us. It's not what he wants. And he wants us to live and have a balanced approach to that. And we see the, the damage that it does on both sides, right? The arrogance and the, the, the fall, you know, and the temptation, how it can destroy a marriage or destroy a ministry. And then on the other side, you're so negative that nobody wants to hang out with you. That's a problem, right? It affects your relationships. I think there's a, a balanced approach to that, and, and these are just some of the things that I, as I said, I've, I've tried to implement in my life to help me along the way, and maybe for you as, as well today. And I added a point that I didn't share in the, the next or the first service, but I really feel like it's also important. You say, Shane, I know that. I've heard that my whole life, but, man, I'm stuck. I'm stuck, and I don't know how to get out. It's okay to get help. It's okay to call for help, Right? 
it's okay to say, hey, man, I'm stuck. I need some help. We have counselors. We have people that have degrees in, in counseling people, and they just help people walk through some of that trauma and those self-beliefs, those false beliefs of their childhood to help them overcome that and experience what God wants them to experience in their life. So I'm saying it's okay to get help if you need help, right? But to just depend on Christ and everything, a healthy self-esteem is a Christ-centered self-esteem. Watch be open to those attacks. Recognize it immediately. Say, that's not a voice of truth coming at me. That's a voice from the enemy. Or that's something that I'm talking to myself. That self-talk. Does anybody else do that? I do. The self-talk that I'm hearing over and over again. Recognize it. Watch out for that. Those spiritual battles. Pray. Give it to him. Let him pour into you. Reject the lies. Accept his truth. And if and in if, and all of those things, you're approaching those things, you're like, God, I still need some help. Get the help. Because here's what I believe. I think God... Well, I know Jesus said that the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his MO. And if, listen, here's what he can do. If he can get you so down on yourself in life, he can render you useless in God's plan for your life, right? I mean, you're just stuck in the ditch. He's like, that's not where I want you. I want you up on the road, that middle ground there, walking in humility, recognizing your need for me, and I'm going to give you what you need. Just walk with me. That's where God wants us, but the enemy doesn't want us there, right? So he tries to knock our feet out. That's his MO. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Abundant living. I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity, but I'm talking about peace and joy and passion and direction in life. Amen? Life's too short to be stuck in a ditch. And so maybe this doesn't speak to anybody. Pretty good chance it does. Maybe it was just for me. That's okay, too. I grabbed to God about it on the way to church this morning about what I was going to share. But the reality is, is I think God has got a great plan for all of us. And here's the thing. What would it look like if we could truly just, you know, this, this gap between what we think of ourselves and what God knows of us to be true. If we could find a way to get rid of the lies, all the stuff that's been spoken into you and you've believed for years is truth. And really, truly receive and believe who God says that you are. What would it look like in your life? I mean, how do you know we'd have a little bit more joy in our families and our lives? Maybe a little bit more peace. Maybe a little bit more hope. Oh, here's one too. Maybe a little bit more confidence to take those steps of faith as he says, hey, I'm directing you this way. Come on, let's go. Right? I can't. I'm stuck in the ditch. He's like, I don't want you to be stuck in the ditch. Amen? So where are you at today? I don't know what it looks like for you, but maybe you need to spend some time just like, like I did last night, evaluate and say, God, where does this come from? What, what is it that I've wrestled with my whole life that makes me think the way I think? And yes, it's messed up, right? And I'm like, God, what is it? What is it? Help me to put my finger on it so I can go back and, and I can acknowledge that as a lie and reject that and replace that with your truth. So I really truly see myself the way you see me. Maybe that's what you need to do as well. Maybe you need to speak with someone. I just want you to know there's people like that that are willing to listen and hopefully help you along that journey. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ. You're like, man, I don't know where I'm at in this whole thing called life. My life is a, a wreck, and I've never trusted him. The most important thing you can do is place your faith in Christ. Amen? And here's the thing. If he is for us, who can be against us? Amen? So, Father, I thank you for that reality today and that truth this morning. Lord, just a, it kind of like picks a, a scab off of a wound for me, and I'm sure it does for others as well. The reality is, Father, you've got a great plan for our lives, and Sometimes you, as you're guiding us, you'll, you'll pull an audible, you'll close a door, you'll open a door, and we want to follow you. We want to be obedient. But, Lord, there's many of us that are just stuck in the ditch, and, and we feel like we can't get any traction because we've made uh, decisions, we've done things, we've said things, or we believe the enemy's lies about ourselves, and we're just stuck. God, I pray that today we could call out for your help, Lord, that we could acknowledge that being stuck and, and knowing that that's not your plan for us and that we would begin the process of getting out of that ditch and finding that middle ground of walking in humility and trusting you and having a Christ-centered life, watching and praying and rejecting the lies and accepting your truth. God, I pray that you would give us um, the, the first step today, what it might mean for each of us gathered here today. And God, I thank you that you're a good, loving father. I thank you for those truths that we are valuable, we are of worth, and Lord, that you do love us in spite of us. 
God, I thank you for those truths, and I thank you for your track record of using people who've blown it big time. far worse than I've blown it so far. God, you're proof that you use the foolish things to confound the wise. You use broken people. God, help us to realize that and get maybe over ourselves in our ditch and, and get to, to where you want us to be in that middle ground. Lord, we love you and we, we depend on you, Father, to guide us. Lord, help us to walk this path and walk it in victory and walk it with confidence, knowing that we are loved and, and we have purpose and knowing that you're beside us. Lord, as you said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Father, we thank you for that hope um, that we have in the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.